Hi there, everybody. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 23 now of the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and Darren McAnthony, Chairman and Co-Owner of Peterborough United. And we had a lot of folks on Twitter over the weekend suggesting that we wouldn't be having a podcast, given the uh, results of the weekend. I don't think we've had to talk about a uh, 5-0 home defeat before in the years we've been doing this. 17 years I've owned Posh. It's never happened. Not in League One, maybe in the Champ. But no, I, I mean, we said last week I'm going away this week and stuff. So, you know, not necessarily we'd be recording for a while. But I thought, you know, can't shirk or hide from that. So we should record, you know, after getting a a, a good scene too like that. You know, you definitely need to uh, to come out and speak about it. Um, you know, and you get people on Twitter going, oh, you know, you're very quiet after a loss. And, you know, but it's like I, I wasn't shouting from the rooftops after we won. Right, you're pretty gutted, right, when you lose as well. What What are you going to say? Yeah, and, and I think somebody had said to me, it was my wife, stay off Twitter. You know, I went for a long walk. I'm doing my five miles every day. So I went for a long walk to get that one out of my system. I was like, I'm not hiding from Twitter. I don't care. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not sure people going on Twitter abusing me or asking me to leave, what's going to change? Or I know what would change. It would get a lot worse. But smart arses with trust the process and how's the process going? And I, 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 don't, I don't understand people's modus operandus for that. You have to be pretty bitter if that's all you're waiting for every time someone loses to come out. I mean, you've got to be, particularly if you're a middle-aged man. I get it with some of the 19 and 20-year-old fucking, you know, gobshites. I think it's a power thing. So you're in your 50s and you think going on and uh, abusing somebody who owns a sports club, you know, football club, a sports franchise or whatever else, you, you, you think while they're sat there on their phone after a few pints and they've watched their team lose that it gives them power making stupid comments because I, I could never, I still think it's like single digit IQ time. Because me and Natalie sit there and have a drink and talk about, can you imagine at our age abusing, abusing the owner of such and such club or, you know, you're trolling, whatever. And yes, there's, you can give a comment and an opinion about a game of football. You can moan. I've moaned about Liverpool enough times, but it's actually, I don't think I've ever directly tweeted John Henry or, you know, the owner of Liverpool or whatever, you know, I, I just, if I have, I'd have to apologize, but I don't know. It's just a bit weird. I don't know. I think there's some jealousy involved in it and people who are in public um, in public positions. Yeah. Maybe they feel helpless and by doing that makes them feel as though it's going to have some impact on you're suddenly going to go and make 100 million available to go and spend on playing. Yeah. Because, you know, you got some stick on Twitter or something. I don't get it. I mean, sat Saturday was the most bizarre game of football I've ever watched. How can I describe it? Don't get me wrong, Bolton are a really good team. We know they're a really good team. And I'm sick of giving compliments to other teams. You know, it's, it's like good team, get it, top six, deservedly so. Big club, had a bad couple of years, rebuilding, come up from League Two, good season last year, recruited well this year, good team. Some good loans from Premier League clubs, used the system really well, Some signed some really good players, including one of our ex-players that... Funny enough, some of the fans who were trolling me were absolutely abusing this kid when I dared to suggest Portugal were looking to call him up mm -hmm. many years ago, Ricardo Santos, that he was, we paid five grand for him. I thought he was going to be a terrific player for our club. Fans came out and buried me at the time about him, this player, that, you know, awful. He was young, concentration issues. Players like that, you have to stick with them and play them. And now he's probably with the best center half in League One. Mm-hmm. And very effective. We sold him to Barnard. He's rebuilt his career with Bolton. They're getting the best out of him. Another player that came through at 18, 19 with us. We've gone from Ramsgate and on league. We saw like lots of potential. And probably similar to a boy called Manny Fernandez. we've got. 
who actually probably has higher potential and eventually will you know the way we're conceding goals he should be bloody breaking in now but because he's actually six foot five and and what was the difference ricardo santos can head and clear the ball puts his body on the line he's not a slick pass and center back he's not scored in 117 games but he scored two goals on saturday no it's the way his last goal i believe before that was scoring for peterborough against darren ferguson's doncaster so he's got three goals against Darren Ferguson. He, he now has to play against Darren, Darren so, Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. So, so but he, he was magnificent, to be fair to the boy. And he'd, he'd said some stupid things when he left us and went to Barna. But I get it. You're young. You, you've been bitter. You've been rejected. You've been sold. You know, fans have got on your back. And this is the danger for fans sometimes. Don't write young players off so quickly. Anyway, my point is on Saturday, he's captain of Bolton. He's very, I think he's captain. Very good player. The best set ass in League One. And it was a good game. And we were really good. In the, you know, if you look at the statistics of the game, you can, for the life of you, if you get the goals, if you looked at the stats, possession, and this is where stats can sometimes skewer things, more possession, more shots, more shots on goal, da 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 da, da. But if you look at the game in isolation, they've had seven shots on target and basically scored five goals. You know, they could shoot from the halfway line and probably score. It was one of them days it would go, it would bounce in off someone's arse cheek. Um, a cross in the box would always end up four yards. Ricardo Santos, you know, to stick it away twice um defensively uh horror show like pinball for the first goal yeah a horror show absolute horror show and they're one nil up and then we've got two the game changed in nine minutes i think around the 40th minute um again an experienced goal scorer for us probably one of the best ever in league one has missed an open pretty much an open goal from three yards a header 99 times out of 100 it would just hit his head and go in and he's missed an absolute setter and 30 seconds later, they got down and win a penalty. Another experienced player basically just gives away a neat, silly penalty. And it's 2-0. But a 49th minute, if you go into the second half from that point, whatever else, we're 4-0 down. So in the space of eight, nine minutes, key moment in the game at 1-0 down, eight, nine minutes later, instead of being 1-1, going in at half time, we're 4-0 down. And again, I don't want salacious headlines I'm criticizing. I'm telling the truth because I give praise out. And I've said, experienced players have been really good the last three games. Would you agree with that? They've really come to the party, been really good. Yeah, you've been talking about them being the difference maker the last few games. Right. Well, fuck me, they were a difference maker on Saturday. Because three of the most experienced defenders have had a horror show. An experienced goal scorer, horror show in front of goal. And they were the difference. You know, because you can't defend like that. And the worst part of it is, is that those defenders are players who played hundreds of games in the EFL, have won promotions. 18 months ago, they won a promotion. We're playing in the championship last year. You cannot defend like that. And they did. And unfortunately, that's killed us. And the worst part is, yes, we had 16 shots on goal. But every single shot, their goalie's very good. He's a Man City boy. But he didn't need to be Gordon Banks. You know, my 13-year-old daughter could have saved all the shots that were pretty much down his throat. It was just scuff after scuff after scuff after scuff. And we had some unbelievable openings. We had one-on-ones. We had three yards out. We had shots from the edge of the box. Where did they all go? Straight in his hands. Straight down to his legs. It was just, it was, it was the perfect storm of being absolutely rudderless in front of the goal and absolute keystone cops defending the goal. And it was just one of them games where every time they broke, like I said, they had six, seven shots on target the whole fucking game. They looked like scoring every time. And I don't even want to go into 
like you've said about the referee, the officiate, and even the second penalty. I saw the second pen, and it's like, where the heck did you even get that from? It's it's tough, isn't it, when you have a bad when you believe that the referee's not made decisions in your favor, but you're losing, you know, by that margin, you can't go and blame the ref, but it doesn't help. No, uh, no comment on him. Yeah. Um, first time we've had him, I think, but no comment. So I'll let you make comments on that. I'll let people look at the second penalty. You know, the, the, the yellow card for Hector for the first goal, it was just all a bit, yeah, it's stop, start, stop, start, you know, star of the show type. Yeah, it was just weird. So anyway, but that wasn't what we lost. We, look, you can get over officiating not going your way. That happens. You get over it, you know, whatever else. What you can't get over is the way we defended. You can't get over the way we couldn't hit a barn door. You can't get over those things. And then the, the other side of that is Bolton defended very well. Bodies on the line, blocking crosses. You know, they, they did all the fundamentals any good football team should do. And unfortunately... We're at home, and we did that in front of a home crowd off the back of having three wins. So you suck all the momentum out of the stadium. You suck all the confidence out of everyone. And then the headlines are, the squad's not good enough. Peterborough have lost eight out of nine to the top nine in the league, which, again, is just astonishing with the amount of experience we have through our squad. You know, And, and you look at all those things. So the players did that. So now the players have to dig themselves out. And those players who've made those mistakes, who haven't shown up enough this season, they got to start looking in the mirror and start start earning their wages. They're really well paid because they have to ask the question, you know, if if not with us, where are they going from here? You know, some of them, you know, have been with us a while. You know, they have to really ask themselves the question, is this the best you've got to offer? Because you're playing way below your standards. And, and, and that really is the question that needs to be answered over the next 17, 18 games. That's all I have to say. It was just a horrendous, horrendous, weird game of football. Weird. You know, when you talked about three of the back four struggling, how, players have bad games. You know, do, is it contagious? So what I mean is, you know, did that happen because maybe there was an incident, other defenders lost confidence, then we all lose confidence in each other? What's happened is, you know, one of them, you know, without, again, like pinpointing and naming people, has a tendency to make mistakes that often lead to goals. And when they do it once, they do it twice, and they lose their head. You want your center halves to be dominant and to be confident and whatever, but legs tend to go. I, I, I don't know why. And, and I really like the guy, you know, and he was brilliant for us getting promoted, you know. And, and unfortunately, again, you know, and, and, and people become very unprofessional having to go at your players. No, fuck that. We just got tanked 5 0, one of our worst defeats in 17 years. It's not about Darren Ferguson. It's not about Darren McAnthony. That's about players doing their fucking jobs. One bad goal is bad enough in a game. You can recover from that. But some of the stupidity, some of the fucking head loss moments from people who earn hundreds of thousands of pounds every year, that's unacceptable, particularly in a game of that magnitude. So that's where I would be enough already. Do your fucking job. Like, there's your three words. Bill Belichick used to say to the Patriots, you know, do your job. I go, do your fucking job. There's the four words. If you do your fucking job, you know, we're a bloody good team. We showed that in the previous three games. A goalie hardly had a save to make. And then someone texts me, so what was the goalie like? And I'm like, I don't think you could criticize the fucking goalie because every, it was two penalties and then the other goals were tap-ins from four yards. There's not a lot a goalie can do when somebody's hurtling the ball 50 miles an hour from four yards. If it was the other way around, there would have been bodies blocking our guy shooting from four yards or it would have been scuffed into the fucking goalie's hand. Do you know what I mean? Whereas they just like fucking rammed at home, you know? So again, do your job. You do your job, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be okay. And, you know, goal difference 
you know, the top six, I said to you before, the, you know, we did last week's podcast, they don't lose a lot of games. You know, to go and do that, fuck me, talk about shit in the bed. So turning it around quickly, hopefully, you so you have Fleetwood away, Markham away the next two, and then actually Plymouth come down to London Road. One game at a time, away at Fleetwood, regardless whether Fleetwood top of the league, bottom of the league, one of the toughest places to go to. It's never been easy. We've lost some, we've won some. Our players have to show some some character now. They have to actually show, okay, Saturday was an anomaly. Saturday was a weird day. Um, so first things first, we've got to take care of that. Then we've got to take care of Morecambe. And then we've got to figure out how do you beat a good team. And it's our place. You know, we've had, in the last five home games, we've had Wickham roll into town and beat us 3-0. Barnsley beat us comfortably 2-1. And now we've had uh, Bolton beat us 5-0. Like, how dare you? Like, I, I don't care if I'm playing a fucking youth team. You do not lose like that at home. Like, you don't. I mean, your past success has been built on your home record. As Correct. Well. And our home record's been keeping us in it this season with the away record being shit. The only problem is that the chink in there has been we've, we've lost to promotion teams, you know, at home recently. And that's been recent, like last five home games. And it's, it's just... But you have to move past it now. I'm sure the manager's got it out of their system because you have to go, look... You've won, you've won three and four. You've won four and six. If you go back to the MK win and, and the other loss against Wickham, you know, you put together another run of two or three, you know, suddenly you've got seven and nine, eight and ten. And that, that, that's the type of form you need in the second half of the season. So, you know, while Saturday, I'm telling you now, and I don't want to sound like bitter, Saturday was not a 5-0. Okay, the stats show you that. Anyone who watches the game, I don't care. If you, if you think that was a 5-0 on Saturday... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it wasn't a 5-0. Up until the 40th minute and whatever else, just the events in the game and whatever else, it was not a 5-0. Unfortunately, it turned out that way. But I've seen 5-0s where we've destroyed teams and should have won 10-15-0. I've seen teams beat us in the championship where you're like, Jesus, that could have been 15. Thank God our goalie's man of the match. Yeah, this was, you know, you shell-shocked at 4-0 after uh, being 1-0 uh, and then and at 4-0, game over. Uh, our goalie basically has had, you know, Fuck all saves to make bar five or six. And again, it's not his fault for the goals. So, you, you, you know, it's just absolutely fucking baffling. Honestly, I, I still can't. But all I want to do now is put it in the past. And you put it in the past by winning games. So, you, you, you know, they have to show up. So, boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you what, this season. Oof, Football, the eh? <laughs> yeah, the stuff, the stuff on, on and off the field this season. It's, um, I could write a trilogy of books on it. It's been exhausting. Honestly, if people only knew, you know, and it's like, it's when I see the stuff about, you know, DMAC out or DF out or all this stuff, it's just like, Jesus, if you only knew, my God, my God, like, you've no idea. No, results on the field cure all ills, I think. And, Allegedly. you know, when, you, when, when you're looking for that, you know, you're not being helped. I, I just, I, I knew, uh, I, I woke up on a Saturday morning to an email from the chair of one of the supporters groups who, who, you know, near and dear, I, I like him a lot and whatever, and we've had meetings, and I'm like, if he's listening to this, again, I'm a superstitious motherfucker. The minute I saw the email, I knew we were losing. I'm like, don't see, email the CEO, email whatever else, don't email me on match day. I'm in America. I can't do anything right now. There's a game in three hours. I, I, why are you emailing? You know my rules for superstition. If there was a problem, if we made a mistake, we'll fix it. We always do. You know, it's not the end of the world. Like, can we all, can, can we just calm down about everything being like over fucking dramatized? everything 
Just everything seems to be dramatized. The club makes a fucking simple error. It's dramatized, just it's magnified, it's massive, it's this, it's that, it's life ending. And I'm 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 sick of drama queens. There's been so much of it, and it's just like, can we stop? There's bigger things going on, and don't worry, we'll make up for the error. Because we always do, and I always do. But just the constant fucking overreacting to everything is exhausting the fucking life out of me. Do you know what I mean? And it's like I'm trying here. And, and like, if my try is not good enough, no problem. You know, I, I'll do what needs to be done. But right now, I'm the best you've got. You know, the people behind the club are the best you've got. And everyone's working their whole off. And it's just sometimes the piling on is just exhausting. You know, it just gets toxic, doesn't it? I guess things that weren't on the job description of a football owner. You know, I, I, I've seen so much stuff in 17 years. I deal with so much stuff. But it's just like, I, I, I try. We try our best. We try and compete. We try and put you know, good product on the field. We try and bring exciting players in. We try and bring transfers in. We try and do some big deals. But you you go back to some of the key fundamentals to how does how, how does it work? How does the system work? How do, what's successful for a club like ours? And again, I harp back to sometimes when you keep players three years and four years, it's too long for a club our size. And, and I know I'll get hammered for saying that, but the proof's in the pudding. I've seen it in 17 years when we try and appease fans and give people new contracts and keep them here and not sell them for big money and turn down bids and whatever else. It it, it never tends to go our way. <laughs> you know, it, tend, it tends to be the opposite, you know, that happens. And, and, and staleness sets in or unhappiness sets in and, you, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing down some key things again this year. Go finally learn from this. And this is like enough already from now on. You, you've got to be more ruthless. You've got to do what's right. You've got to do what's right for the club. You've got to do what you feel is right because that's why you're an owner. That's why you were successful enough to be able to buy a football club. And 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 those shouting from the stands or shouting from the side or criticising whatever weren't successful enough to buy a club. So at the end of the day, you know, we try. But it's tough. It's fucking tough. And I get it. We're not top of the league. We're not sixth. We're not seventh. We're, we're now ninth, whatever. Wickham or better than us um Barnsley are better than us Bolton hammered us 5-0 on Saturday our fans are all you know Bolton whatever else Bolton two years ago nearly didn't have a football club what, what were we doing two years ago you know I, uh, the memories are so short sometimes it's like my god it, it, you know there's been some success it's not all shit um you know we still have a chance we have a small chance every time we get stuff like Saturday the chance becomes further and further away so I can't change anything right now. January, we couldn't change anything. It was either sell some high high end assets and then free up some cap space, or manage with what we've got because we were at the cap. You know, I I couldn't get the Cal Watt deal cancelled. I couldn't. There were certain things I could do and couldn't do. You know, you you know, would I like to put you know three new defenders in the back line? Of course I would. I don't manage the football team. Am I looking forward to next year? And I'm gonna fans are like again probably have a go at me for this. Young Aaron Powell, we got him out on loan. Young left back at our club, very excited to see what he does next year. Manny Fernandez, I'm telling you right now, if he'd played a lot more this season, we wouldn't have conceded so many goals aerial. The boy's a monster. He's going to be a monster player. We beat Leicester on the 21s last week. He was unbelievable. He's not had a chance. When he has had a chance, he's got injured. You know, again, one that we could get behind. Charlie O'Connell, smooth centre-back, playing on loan. He's playing right back, left back, centre-back in midfield for uh, Woken. Who are riding high in the national car? You know, these are our players homegrown. You know, I, I, I'm excited to see them. 
instead of always let's go and sign somebody on five grand a week or let's get someone from the Premier League or let's do this. And I said, no, I'm done with that. I'm 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 done because I've got players like that already, and and a lot of them have been let me down for the last eighteen months. Do, do you get what I mean? So it's like you know, I I, I want to see what our our own talent can do. So really really frustrated. You can tell I am today. But you've got eighteen games left of the season. I was just looking at the table. So. Even 10 games to go, you get teams that come up from uh, being a few points off the pace. So as long as you can kind of stick with it, keep some kind of momentum, like you say, even though it, it hurts having such a big defeat, it's still, what, three wins in four or something like that? Four and six, three and four, four and six. But let, let, let's find out what these experienced players who, who, who got good contracts off me, you know, who I've been really supportive of. Let's see what they do now. Let's see if they fold or let's see if they rise. Let's see if they answer the criticism because that's the only thing they can do. Because like I said to you, where do they go from here? Um, and, and, and let's see if they all get themselves together. You know, I, I'd like to see that they drag themselves. I know they were in training yesterday. They have a meeting away from training. Sometimes you need that. Did they all get in a room? Did those experienced ones, the ones who were 27 and 29 and 31, that they look everyone in the eye and say, look, you know, we're not digging out young players here because we were a fucking pony. You know, we've been pony most of the season. In fact, thank you to the young players keeping us in it. You know what I mean? Because we just haven't been there. But here's the good news. We haven't been there, but we're about to be here now. And and we have to make a pact and, and play our best football from here on in. Because that's the only minor little chance we have is if those players show up there. Because I know they've done it before. That's the worst part. If you haven't seen it before, you're like, okay, this is quite normal. But I've seen them. I've seen them do really well. I've seen them you know, get clean sheets against tops teams. I've seen them win promotions when they were, you know, I saw us come from 3-0 down against Lincoln to win promotion with 20 minutes to go. Yeah, at 3-0 down on Saturday, it's game over, you know, because heads just dropped and simple mistakes are made and we're not tracking runners and we're not fucking doing whatever and we're out of position. People who are like in their late 20s who've been doing this three, 400 times. So if those people can stand up, we have a chance. If they can't, we've got no chance and they'll be gone. So, on the, I guess, positive side, let's talk a little bit about our weekend. We're going to some questions and uh, go around the rest of the leagues because what a win. What a we win. got a 3 2 win away at Stevenage. How many times have Stevenage conceded three goals this season, Philip? Once. They, did, they lost one once at home all season to Northampton. I think it was the same score, 3 2. And while we talked a couple of weeks ago about Rochdale coming into Valley Parade and, you know, not having done anything all season and rolling us over, it's kind of the opposite on Saturday. Stevenage had all the stats, best uh, home team um, in the league all season. And, um, you know, you wouldn't know at half time that what was going to happen in the second half. We were 1-0 down. What changed? A little bit of luck, um, a bit of quality. You know, we were 1-0 down half time, And they were doing their usual, you know, throwing it long big guys heading it hard you know there's not a lot that we were doing to stop all that um and then a couple of minutes in we got a uh, matt derbyshire who was playing his first start you know got one 20 yards 25 yards out just pinged it off the bar no no stopping it so a kind of technical quality that he has uh, to pull that off and then two or three minutes later, the ref had been having a go at their players. Like, you know, I'm watching you with the shirt pulls just before we had a free kick. Free kick comes over. One of their guys, you know, had shirt in his hand and ref just gave a penalty. I think he got fed up of it, um, scored the penalty. So we came, you know, five minutes into the second half, now 2-1 up um, from being out of it at halftime. And so, you know, at that point we got more into it. They got one back, 2-2, two, two, another 
you know, another high ball coming into header. Stevie Evans teams don't give up, do they? No, it's just relentless. And when you have pretty zonal marking at the back as well, oh. um, you know, and it's getting on on these guys' heads, it's just going straight in. Um, probably another wonder save from Harry Lewis um, to keep us in it as well. And then just got a breakaway, five minutes to go and 3-2 and held on. Did tell me your reaction. What were, you, what were you doing when the winner went in? Yeah, I mean, um, I, there was a lot of shouting and cheering going on in my house when that when that third one went in. It's funny, you know, when the kids are listening, I got to be careful what I say. Fuck that. Get in there. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. But then there's still that expect because we talked last week about how awful our away form is. Yeah. So you're still not really thinking this is done. No, no. And, and, and against Steve Evans, even in injury time, you know, the amount of late goals he would like muster up, you know, with the pressure, the relentless pressure, you know what I mean? It's like, how many Bantams travelled to the game? I think there were seven or 800 that went that's down. A good, that's a good shift. Yeah. Um, you know, we got Doncaster coming up in a couple of weeks. We just sold three and a half thousand. So yeah, we travelled well. Great result. There was, you know, typical dark arts uh, all the way through. So the begin before we even started, um stevenage groundsman basically wouldn't allow the keepers to warm up anywhere near the goal area um then there was something around the gps and i don't quite know uh, more than just what mark hughes said on the radio but essentially stopping us being able to use a gps uh, around the dugouts well what did they have phone blockers did they have phone blockers around? i don't know exactly how they did this <laughs> come on, um, come on. he was he was grumbling about that um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that one before. Never heard that uh, one before. I love it. I tell you, unbelievable. Uh, honest to God, yeah, he's got to be up there for coach of the year this year. Honestly, for the job he's done there, unbelievable. I mean, seriously. So you know, it's it starts from the moment you get off the bus. I think does yeah. the welcome, <laughs> the welcome committee. Oh, uh, he 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 invokes. I think if if you want to get like a sleeping fan base loud and 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 like aggressive and and he, there's something he does. I mean. I, I, I know it's not for everyone. I know it's like, you, you, you know, people, I don't want that. I don't want whatever else. But like, if he gets Stevenage promoted, I'm sure their fans aren't going to care, are they? One, I think he does a really good job of invoking us against the world. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, no yeah. one hates, everyone hates us, you know, and let's go and use that as a motivation. We've got the lowest budget. We've got no money. He, he, you know, it's brilliant the way he does it. You know what I mean? I mean, they were, we talked to him, you know, when, just before he got the job last year, they were 22nd, maybe, I think it was in the table. Yeah. And, you know, not looking pretty good for that 20-second space. Now they're second and within touching distance of top. And, I mean, in all likelihood, they're going to get promoted. I, I, I mean, if, you, if you'd if you said to anybody at the start of the season, I, I could have told you pre-season because obviously I knew when we played them in the Cups and stuff. If you'd said to anyone, Stevenage by February were like a few points off top and second and Bradford were, were, Bradford were shitting themselves going there and, and absolutely expecting to lose... I'd have called you Matt, and you would have probably said, no, that's Matt, that's not going to happen. And that is, that's the Steve Evans effect, isn't it? Fair play to him. And funnily enough, in his, in his interview afterwards, he mentioned the fact that, well, Bradford shouldn't even be coming here, you know, as the underdogs. Correct. Big budget, big club, big this, big that. But he's not wrong, though, is he? No. Um, and so we've got Tranmere on Tuesday and Barrow. Uh, so those are both at home this week. How's, tra how's Tranmere's form? Tranmere, I think they're just kind of up and down. I mean, they've been... Um, let's have a look at the league table. They're kind of mid-table around where we are. They've been low and mid most of the season. Um, they're 11th. Um, so last six has been two wins, two draws, two defeats. 
pretty much mid-table form. Yeah. I mean, they're beatable. And then Barrow have really fallen off recently. Barrow are 12th. But, I mean, the, the league is so, you know, so compressed that there's still only three points between 14th and 9th, another couple of points before the playoffs. Stockport now in the playoffs. So, no, I mean, we expected that, didn't we, even though they had a slowish start. So I, there's no there's no gimmies. I'm going to call it now. Wrexham win League 2 by 15 points next year. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past them. And and if they get up, Notts County will be in that. You know, oh, oh I, if Notts County go up 1 million percent in, in two years' time, I'd be very surprised if both of them aren't in League 1. Right. I you think they both sell through League 1. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sorry, both sell through League, League 2. two. I agree. I don't think either of those teams will struggle. I think they will be, you know, neck and neck again for the title, you know, in League Two next year. It's just, um, it's incredible, really. You know, that momentum from National League when you're a big club with big gates, big crowds, you know, and, and look, let's not, everyone wants to say Wrexham is a, is a you know, this story or whatever else. Let's, let's get it right here. Yes, they're not paying some of the wages, some people are saying, but I know a lot of the wages they are paying. And, and that's not a fairy tale story. You know that 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 is a well-funded club. Fair play to them. That's not a criticism for me. Yeah, who are executing very no, well at the moment. Yeah, no, no headlines out there for me saying, "Oh, you know, Wrexham are you know doing whatever else." I, I'm not jealous of that at all. I think it's magnificent for their fans because they've had a lot of years of shite, but they are paying very well and they're executing with a, a proven manager, and they are growing as a club. And what what that's led to is it can go one or two ways when you spend that kind of money. You can end up fucked with egg on your face. And in serious financial trouble, are you catch fire like I've spoken about, where you get FA Cup runs, TV money, a bit like Bradford a few years ago, sponsorship deals, ESPN are like fucking it's their love child over here on TV, so they're at every game, so they've probably made more. They would those owners probably haven't had to put anything in this year because of the amount of excess revenue they've now had from larger gates from the TV money. So those four, five, six grand a week, whatever they're paying down there. It's been covered. It's sustainable so, at the moment. Yeah, it, it is sustainable. Correct. So as much as people go, well, uh, the owners are having to pile in millions. I don't think they are. You know, bar buying the ground. I don't think they are. I, I think it's been run really effectively because it's caught fire. Now, if it hadn't caught fire and they were eighth in the National League, they wouldn't be getting nine, ten thousand. They'd be getting five. ESPN wouldn't be showing every game in the FA Cup. They wouldn't have gone further than the first or second round. And then the owners would be facing a three million quid uh, bill between them. So that's the risk you take. And if you're rich enough to afford the gamble, three million or nothing, I'm going to take it each way and have a go. That's what you do. So they're riding a crest of a wave. Notts County, on the other hand, I would say probably haven't spent that kind of money. They've got some very good players. They've, they, you know, yes, they've got wealthy owners, I believe, but I wouldn't say they're in that stratosphere. Um, so again, look, it, it's fascinating, really, really fascinating. What I found really fascinating was I was reading some good articles in The Athletic. One about the guy who tried to buy Newcastle, then tried to buy Sheffield United. Sheffield United under an embargo for not paying transfer fees. Um, I think at the time, if I don't know if they still are, but you know they're going to the Premier League. You know, them and Burnley are up pretty much. If you look at that table, Bar Middlesbrough, I think you were like breathing down everyone's neck now. They're pretty much up. So, you know, that's a fascinating story. A club that might have an embargo, if they continue that embargo, could end up getting promoted and rightly so, they'll pay their bills. But that is the the throw of the dice you take sometimes, you know, and, and and the fans have stuck with them. I don't think they did any business because of the embargo in January. They didn't sell their best players either. He's rolled the dice to have a go. So he'll get criticism. But if he gets them promoted again, it's a hell of a story. Um, 
and they're 10 points clear right now with a game in hand over Middlesbrough in third. Yeah, they, they, yeah Middlesbrough on fire, but yeah. um, what a great appointment that turned out to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the championship, the, the playoffs are going to be the real story there, aren't they? Um, but let, 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 let's go back to the Premier League because obviously there's a few, a few things to talk about at the weekend. Uh, I see Ivan Tony's winding up Arsenal fans again. So, uh, good for Ivan. Another goal. I think another one goal and there's another 100 grand in there for us. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> always good every time I see him scoring. And every goal always helps with the resale value. Oh, if it wasn't for this impending FA ban, he'd be he'd probably sell for 80 million in January. Todd Bowley would have bloody sent a jet to Brentford to pick him up to fly on the other side of London for Chelsea, you know? So, well, that's what Chelsea need, right? So, so you, you know, all, all of the work that's been done at Chelsea and they still haven't got a 20 goal a season striker in the building. Um, Arsenal are starting to wobble, which disappoints me because obviously I'm a big fan of theirs um, and I want them to win the league this year. Um, but obviously Man City now seem to, this thing has given them a stick up their ass where they're like us against the world. And I always said they could be 10 points behind, 15 points behind. Do not write them off. And now they can go top of the table if they beat Arsenal this week. Yeah, so that's scary. Uh, Man United, much to my disappointment, and as a Liverpool fan, people will appreciate that, um, are absolutely, again, catching fire. It's absolutely colossal. Newcastle are having their own bit of a wobble. They weren't great at the weekend. So top four is still up for grabs. Tottenham don't want it, I've seen, with their result this weekend. You know, it, 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 it's there to be had. And uh, if they're not careful, and Ivan keeps scoring, Brentford will still top four. <laughs> well, I mean, full credit to them. 34 points, the five points off uh, Spurs in fifth. I mean, it's it's Phenomenal. incredible what they've done. It, 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 to be fair, and I know the two of them don't get on, but Tony Bloom and Matthew Bennett, who owns Brentford, are like two of the best owners in England, aren't they? If there was no owner of the year award, them two would be up for that award for what they do with their club. I'm very envious of them. I'm envious of, obviously, what they've been able to do, new stadiums and everything else. I'm envious of how they've executed it. Um, uh, not jealous, envious in a really positive way. And I think both of them are just terrific owners who've just done an amazing fucking job with their clubs. And, and they're getting the payoff right now. And, and they've both put tremendous amounts of money in that I couldn't put into any football club. And they're getting their payback. So fair play to them. You know, it's um, you talk about greed in the game and you talk about this, you talk about that. I mean, they're just... Two phenomenal owners, they really are. And meanwhile, uh, I think I saw Nathan Jones got sacked from yeah. Southampton. Yeah, poor Nathan. I mean, brilliant at loot and useless everywhere else. Um, if I'm if I'm going to be like harsh and, and a hard truth about it, um, I'd like a fan earlier asking why are we looking to get Nathan Jones or Chris Wilder? These guys are on millions of pounds. Even if I wanted to, they wouldn't be coming to Peter. But people need to get their head out of their asses and that nonsense. You know what I mean, that's not going to happen. Um, Nathan, he failed at Stoke and he's failed badly at Southampton. So I don't know where he goes from here. Sometimes you don't get a second chance, but he got a second chance and, and he kind of blew it. You know, and, and Rasmus, who I know from Brentford, who is a part owner of Southampton, I mean, they backed him. They brought in some bloody good players in the window. It'll be interesting. To, I mean, if they go to the championship, is it the age of the players and everything else that they have a great chance of blowing everyone out in the championship? They come up very quickly again, in my opinion. But, um, obviously my partner Jason's a massive Southampton fan so he's obviously like pulling his hair out watching this but I always found the Nathan Jones one a bit of a strange appointment if I'm being really honest I thought it was a really really strange appointment but good luck to him I'm sure he'll bounce back I'm sure he'll get a third chance and he'll end up at a good championship club because of what he did at Luton people will take a chance on him again 
I don't think it'll be a sexy club when I say sexy, big, big club. It's going to be a project spreads. again, probably, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, correct. You know, may, I don't know, maybe a Birmingham or a Huddersfield. Or you, 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 and when I say sexy, it's not an insult to those clubs. It means where they are in this moment in time with their own issues will need a rebuild. And he'd probably be very primed and good for those clubs, you know. And he's, he's a very good, competent manager. But I think he needs to take a look at, you know, the two scenarios, what's happened to him outside of Luton and why it's gone that way. Uh, and and fair play to Luton, by the way, who seem to seamlessly carry on without him. <laughs> and it shows maybe it's not the manager after all. It's the structure that they put around it. I, I said it last week because we sold a player to Luton, who I believe made his debut already for Luton. Um, they've got good ownership. They've got Mick Harford, who's like that guiding light there at the club. He's like their Barry Fry in a way, but younger. Um, and obviously, you know, they have a certain way of doing things. That is basically club over manager. It's like we have a way. We have a philosophy. Yes, Nathan Jones played a big part of that in League Two and bringing them up, but they're sticking to that. And you as a manager have to bring your beliefs in there and you have to mold them with what we do as a club. That's the right way to do it. When we recruit in the summer, it will be the same. There's the template. These are the five things that make us our club. This is what works for us. You know, I, it wouldn't be going back to a Steve Evans type situation where, oh, just come in and sign 20 players and let's change the way we play and let's do it this. No. We're an academy-based football club. We've a Katu Academy. This is what we do. This is our identity. That's our DNA. Can you fit to that? Can you bring things to that and make us better? Do you know what I mean? So, so that that just has to be the modern way for football clubs, in my opinion. Now, um, you mentioned about Huddersfield when we talked about managers. I don't know if you saw with the calls you were on this morning, but uh, Neil Warnock is basically... Uh, about to take over at Huddersfield for the rest of the season. Uh, Lordy Neil. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I knew he'd be out of retirement sooner or later. Right? He's probably darted off that tractor. You know what I mean? <laughs> big, big old case full of dough on the back of the car. And uh, listen, if anyone can save them, it's him. So I have so much respect for him. Um, you know, I have to, you know, we talked recently about the Newcastle thing and, and I couldn't get the loan cancelled. And, you know, it's obviously like it was, it was 58 grand or whatever we're stuck with on an injured player. He did us two favors over the years that were like magnificent. Like, um, we had a player from Cardiff we took in the summer on loan, first preseason friendly. He got badly injured for the year. Um, you know, it would have been a good chunk of our budget for a, it was just a midfielder, I believe. Um, Neil cancelled it. We took a striker on loan from them who was on big money. We were paying him like five grand a week. And again, we had issues at the time, and he did us a, a tremendous favor. And, and he and he cancelled it early, and he got ownership, you know, that club to agree. Um, we had the same thing with Lee Tomlin; they did a massive favour. We were paying like hardly any of his wage to get him fit, get him playing. He then went back there. We earned a new contract. He did really well for them. He's one of the, and, and that's why when I was arguing with a Premier League club about, hey, help us out, you know, we had a Championship club do that for us, you know, multiple times. We've had other clubs do that lower down than the Prem, and. and you know, and this, you get some fans that are saying, oh, I'm bitter and I'm having a go. But no, I'm, I'm not. I'm asking for genuine help as part of the football family. Just like if somebody, if, if Aaron Powell's club, something happened with Aaron, you know what I mean? I, I would take him back and I would allow them to go get another player because I understand what budgets are like, you know, down the pyramid. I think he's at Welling. Um, that's what you do as a football family sometimes. You you, you help. Um, we had a club once in, in non-league. We owed installments on a player and they needed money. And we paid all the installments quicker because we could. They asked the question. They asked me. I was like, that's going to help that club. We're going to do that. Um, you know, and, and, and things like that work. Like 
Brentford were really good with us. They owed us in the storm, not owed us, they were like close to owning us in the storm and done an appearance thing for Ivan or whatever it was. And usually it's 60 days to get paid and they paid it in a day because Barry made the phone call, you know, and, and they were like, no problem at all, bang. And it was with us within an hour. You know, you get you get clubs that are like really, really classy like that and and, and help you out and, and do whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just the way it should work. So look, as regards Neil, um, no doubt he'll have um, his trusted lieutenant in there doing all the coaching and uh, um, the ex-goalkeeper. What was his name? Is it Kevin Bracewell? I don't remember. I know they brought in Ronnie Jepson as their assistant. Okay, okay. Which is also, you know, ex-Huddersfield. But, yeah, I'm not sure who he, I'm not sure who the keeper is he works with. It was, I, I want to say it was Kevin Bracewell. No, I can't, yeah. I can't remember. Fucking name. My mind scrambled today. I've been so busy all day. Um, if anyone can keep them up, it's him. So, Absolutely. Neil's got that magic about him. Now, there's a question I actually want to bring in that came from John, who's a Wigan fan, was talking about Colatore being sacked after 59 days. We just talked about Nathan Jones, who didn't last very long. We talked about Huddersfield. It was Mike Fotheringham, I think, who was the manager there that didn't last very long. His question is, how soon do you know an appointment's going wrong? And what kind of due diligence do you usually do when you do appoint a new manager? You know, it's really difficult. I saw the Colatore one, and it was like he'd obviously coached with Brendan Rodgers. He'd done really well. He'd obviously a good pedigree from being a player. But you know, you know pretty soon if somebody's is is out of their own, out of their depth. You know, you know. I I had it many years ago in the champ at Mark Cooper. You know, we took him from Kettering, we took him to the champ. It was probably unfair what we did. He proved later on he was a good manager, but it, you know, um, right person, wrong time. You might say. And I knew pretty quickly he was like way out of his depth. You know, the things you see, the things you hear, the decisions, the, the results, the, the reaction from players. And I hate that. I hate the fact players sometimes drive you to fire managers because they're not doing their fucking jobs. Like I said earlier, do your fucking job. And, you know, obviously Wigan have had a hard season and they haven't recruited a lot or done a lot of business, you know. And, and obviously Torre was a big, it was like a coup. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a really, really good manager appointment. You thought, okay, hey, big name, you know. And, and sometimes you just know when you know. And as regards to due diligence, with a first-time manager like that, because he's coached, it's very little you can do. You can ring Brendan Rogers, but what's Brendan Rogers going to tell you? He's like a shit manager. He's shit. Don't hire him. He's only going to tell you he's the best. That's normal. And he could be legally liable if he doesn't tell you that because – you know, of HR laws. And yeah, everything, you know. So you do your due diligence, you ring around and you speak to people who they've, you know, if you if I hire a manager and he's worked at five clubs, I'm going to try and speak to everyone. Barry will do the same. So we speak to the club, but we'll also speak to staff within those clubs who've worked with them. Even staff they might have fallen out with, but you're going to get both sides of the argument. You then look at, you know, a lot of it now is data-driven. You look at, are they a high press? Are they high tempo? Are they a low block? Are they defensively driven are they an offensive minded coach what's the style of play you hire russell martin you know you're going to dominate the football and have 75 percent possession you might not score a lot of goals but you know that you're going to sit there comfortably watching your team control games um not that that mattered on saturday against bolton we had 60 percent of the possession and got battered five nil right so so you, you, there's certain managers you know what i mean it, it, you hire jürgen klopp 10 years ago you got what, was, what used to be called a gengen press or the gengo that whatever the press was he had from germany so Again, you knew what kind of manager. Chelsea are seeing a bit of Graham Potter where the criticism of Brighton would have been he doesn't, it's for a no knickers at times where there's not enough goals. He'll create a lot of chances. He'll have a lot of possession. They'll dominate the ball, but maybe they're too blunt in the final third. And, and, and it stopped Brighton from maybe being a top seven team. Now you're seeing Brighton a little bit more, um, how would you describe it, uh, ruthless in the final third. 
And now you're seeing Chelsea with all these wonderful attacking players and probably dominating the ball, but they're not scoring goals. So is that the manager? So these these are all the things you look at in a manager's resume and a manager's record. So yeah, interesting. Good question. What else have we got? Give us some questions. Yeah, important. we have another question, which is actually um, because we talked about the kid that you have on loan at Welling. Um, yes. Question, this is from Liam. What's the importance of sending younger players to non-league step three or four clubs? Um, Massive. Do the, Massive. Do the players see the benefits of that too as well as the clubs? So, so we had this kid who was in our youth team. Uh, we saw him two years ago. I remember pre-season we played Barnet. And I remember saying to the gaffer at the time, Darren, Jesus, what a left peg he's got on him. He was fucking unbelievable going forward. Yeah, I didn't see much defensively of him. We were, we were dominating Barnet in this preseason friendly. And he must have created five chances. What a left peg. And I always remember thinking, this kid's got a chance. And then he got a really bad injury that season in an under-21 game I was watching. Really bad. He was out for uh, six, seven months. Lovely parents. His, his dad, you know, I, I see him on Facebook and whatever else. Not, not one of those parents who's like OTT about their son, you know, proper old school. And the one thing, the question mark over him at the time before he went out alone was, he was he too big for his boots? Was, was he... Was he maybe too? Some kids come up and they just sometimes they need to see the real world. My own son needs to see the real world. I've just been on college visits with him for three days. He needs to see the real fucking world, and and it's difficult as a parent to let let that happen. And we fair play to his agent and our club. We sent him out to Welling. Uh, I think it's Welling, and he's gone out. And I believe their manager after the first games got hold of him. Again, young player gone into a man's dressing room, and since then he's been one of their best players. And, and and the manager asked us, what do you want me to do here? And we we're like, treat him like any other player. And I think he's pulled him in line. And the kids reacted like an absolute top-class pro. And to the point now where we've watched loads of his games, and he is now basically going to compete with another left-back in the summer to be our main left-back. That's how highly we think of him. He's going to sign a new contract shortly. And again, it's not greed. He, he, he just wants a chance. And all good things will happen for him. And of course, he's not perfect, and our fans will be like, they'll see him if he has a bad go. He is a proper young left back, and he's got a great chance. Um, so that loan has been magnificent for him. Charlie O'Connell going to Woking has made him made a player out of him, where clubs higher up are scouting him and really like him, and he's yet to play for us, bar in a League Cup game this season. He's yet to make his proper debut for us starting. He's captain of our under-21s. He's probably the most professional youngster we've ever had at our club. And if anything, it's probably his biggest issue has been what is he? Is he a right back, a centre back? We think he's a centre back. You know, we think he's somebody who can, Ronnie goes on, he can step in there. But he's versatile. And he's gone into a woke dressing room, you know, a lot of uh, old, old hardcore pros. And he's impressed them immensely. And they wanted it, they wanted him on a full time loan until the end of the season, but we refused and made sure we had a 24 hour callback. That's probably irritated Woken a bit, and then he didn't play the next couple of games, and now he's come back in. We're very thankful to Woken, and we're very thankful to Wellian for those loans. Is that why you sometimes see one month loans for younger kids going out there so that you can call them back whenever you want if you need to? Co correct. And we made sure we had a 24 hour callback on both him and Aaron. So if we had any issues, we had Dan Butler, obviously, who, who can't train a lot and can only play and because of his former injury. So we needed to have it. We didn't get out better. We knew Aaron Powell was going to be, okay, we've got to call you back if we need you. We then had, we didn't know, you know, Callum Watts out till whatever, whenever he comes back, we, Ronnie could have been gone in the window. You know, there was no real centre-backs, really, we could bring in at the time that were ready for us. 
Um, and then we were down to Knight, Kent, and Thompson who could fill in in there, and Manny Fernandez. So again, the idea was, well, we could call Charlie back if we needed to, but let's leave him there playing. And then we have the 24-hour callback. So I can't speak highly enough about some of these young players getting that game time. The 21s and going out on loan, it's really good for them. So we have a question from Craig, and Craig was saying that you, know, you mentioned in an earlier podcast that you've been unsure on the purchase of Efron Mason Clark and that Grant had convinced you that it was going to be the right fit for Posh. And the question is, you know, do you concede that sometimes taking a punt on a player that might not tick all the boxes is worth it, or are you pretty rigid no. in terms of having to check no, all the... No, 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 no. Uh, uh, look, look, first things first. Barry was the one who wanted him originally when we signed Jack Taylor. We, we played Barnett in a preseason game and both Jack and Efron stood out. Jack was like 19 or 20. Efron was 20, 21. Um, Barry goes to see Barnett a lot because he's very close with Tony Clientos. And to be fair, when Sammy went, we were looking for a certain type of player and then Grant was like, we played them in preseason. It was like, you know, I like this boy, Efron Mason Clark, because Barry had obviously said to him, this is the boy. Yeah, keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on him, da 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 da, da. I was worried about him stopping the progress of Ricky J. Jones. Mm -hmm. Ricky was on that left side. And I was worried at the time we bring him in, you know, it might stop the, the progress of Ricky, Joel Randall. You, you know, how many left-sided kind of wide players do you want? What I didn't realize was, uh, and he can play anywhere across the front three. I knew he was technically very good. I was concerned he was 23, 24 already. When you go non-league, you like him to be 19, 20, 21. But I liked his attitude. I like when we did the deal. I like the fact he chose us over other bigger clubs in our league. Tony and Barnett were great to deal with. So I would always take a punt if I think it's worth taking a punt. And what we paid for him, it was definitely worth taking a punt. You know, I've lost more money in Las Vegas. So it was definitely, definitely, definitely worth taking a punt on that kid. And as it turns out, he could be uh, one of the next big ones, you know, financially for the football club in the future if he keeps on. Now, when you were looking to take a punt and somebody doesn't necessarily uh, tick all of your boxes, if they don't tick your boxes, are you pretty much, mm, I'm going to move on? Or will you look at players where you, like, what's the risk um, reward kind of calculation that, that you think about on taking a, a punt that might not tick all your boxes? It's one is age, one is cost of the deal, uh, third is wages. As long as they're all okay, I'll take a punt anytime. Um, you, you, you know, if it's the wages are really expensive, if the fees are really expensive, then it's not really a punt. You have to be sure. Some people will criticize us and say, well, Joel Randall, you overpaid for, and he hasn't done anything for the club. They would be right so far. You know, all I can say to you is Joel Randall, at the moment, he's the best training ground player at the club, and we want him to get into the team and be the best player at the club. The one thing I'll say about a player like him in year two is he's grown up off the field. He was very homesick and a lot of injuries last year. And if he gets his chance, uh, I would hazard a guess he'll go. He'll he'll end up on a run in our team. And he's been brilliant from the point of view. Like the manager told me earlier, he's told Joe he's, he's playing at a, an under twenty one game tomorrow. He's been you know we played to Leicester last week and he was man of the match again in the under twenty one game. You know scored the goal, could have had four. You know he's playing as a ten or an eight. Um, we still feel very confident as a player in there. Unfortunately, yes, our fans have written him off because he's you know, he's only played four times for us or whatever as a club, and we spent a lot of money on him. And I made the catastrophic error of joking at a fans forum we'd sell him for twenty million. You know how dare I make a, a judgment call? You know based on us having a decent record of creating high asset sales, um, and, and that's unfair on him. So the fans, some fans have taken that on him, and that's pressure I put on. I shouldn't have done that. So. 
Um, then you've got other calculated risks, you know, where you go, Joel Tomlinson was one. We paid, you know, 100 grand. Um, you know, one of the best fullbacks in non-league. He's left-footed, right-footed, good pedigree. We thought he'd come in and he'd, he'd within a year he'd get not in the first year like Poku we'd take our time by year two he'd come in he'd be challenging to be left or right back and for whatever reason he just doesn't work with us goes out to Swindon he's the best player he's you know he's wanted by the clubs comes back to us he's injured he's not injured he's he's in he's not great he's you know sometimes players just don't fit with certain clubs it's not a slight on, on Joel Tomlinson you know he'll move in the summer the club that he's with has an option to buy him and he's a very good player and he could play a league one with his eyes closed I'm convinced of that it just hasn't worked with us you know and then there's other ones where you're like we need to sign this Darren said to me last week about a player that was in the Bolton team and I pulled up you know I had to remind him in an email that I wanted to sign him three two and a half years ago when he was at a league two club and not Ricardo Santos by the way and the, the resounding answer back from everyone in the staff and the coaching staff after analyzing what was like, nah, you know, and it was like, well, I really want this one's a good one, you know, like statistically and visually and, and got all the and, and now he's like one of their best players. Do you know what I mean? So that's the way it goes. That's, um, by the way, I'm not criticizing Darren and staff, whatever. Sometimes it's a collective effort. We all have to be on the same page, right? Um, it has to work that way. Um, some players just don't come off. Like we had one this season, we were excited about David Ajiboy. We were really excited that he'd be really effective for us the way we play. And again, he'd be like, he just didn't settle. He, he just couldn't break in. When he did get his chance, he, he played within himself, you know? I'm sure he's probably going to do well at Sutton again, you know what I mean? And, and, and do really well. And people who've seen him in League Two know he's a hell of a player. He's definitely good enough to be top end League One player. Maybe he comes back in the summer with a point to prove and, and does well. Maybe somebody gives us some money back from. So, you, you, you know, who knows? You know, at the end of the day, that's football. It, it, you know yourself. You've seen enough good players come to Bradford. Look, Elliot Watt was at Bradford. Waste, wasted his last year. And he's probably one of, the, one of the top three central midfielders in League Two by a fucking mile. All the stats tell you that. The way he plays. And they have from this that. season again. He's got, got back to that this season with Salford. Right, right. But he's grown up. Kyle Dempsey was in and out of our side when we had him on loan. He went to Gillingham. Did really well for Gillingham, came good again. Bolton bought him for like a hundred grand or whatever, and he's one of their best players. Uh, sometimes your players take a dip and then they go back again. You know what I mean? So you have to be careful writing people off. Yeah, you, you, you know, and, and and I'm as guilty as our fans and anyone else sometimes writing the player off and going, nah, this, you know what I mean? And, and it's like you, players can give you a nasty surprise. They can give you a pleasant one. They can give you a nasty one too. <laughs> so I got two last questions. One is actually um, one that I was going to ask you earlier, but um, but forgot when I was actually talking about Bradford and talking about Matt Derbyshire, 36 years old. Adam Clayton came into the side. He's really done a good job, uh, 34 years old. Like, what determines how a player ages? And, you know, because we've, we've all seen those players at 31, even 32, who you look and say, yeah, they've, they're gone. Are there any brothers that are coming back at 36 and, you know, they're still the technical ability and they're doing it? Yeah, I, I, I guess positionally. It's like if, if you tell me, if a striker or a target man, I've always said they have, they have careers that go longer. So like a Clark Harris will still be scoring 15 league goals and League 1 or League 2 at 35, right? I'm not sure um, a Dwight Gale or a Jack Marriott with pace are doing the same. Does that make sense? Sometimes yeah. it's down to the... Depends what your game is based um, around. 
Right. Uh, uh, and Ollie Norburn, who's just coming back from an injury and yeah. is, is, is fit again for us after 11 months out, will probably still be dominating and running around like Jando Fuchs midfields when he's 35. He'll still be able to do that. He, he's not a box to box midfielder. I'm not sure a box to box midfielder at 35 is still doing the same thing. You got Richie Smallwood, who's older than me and you, and he's probably one of the best in League Two by a mile statistically. And age doesn't matter to him. He could probably do it for the next three. That's why we offered him a three-year deal in the summer. He could do it for like three years. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day. So Grant McCann, I got him at 29-30 and he had his best two or three years of football that he played for a long time. Yeah, we had uh, Gary Jones, who was centre midfielder from Rochdale his full career, came at 35, is now a legend and was the captain when we got to the League Cup final and we got promoted that year. You know, there as you an example to everybody else. There you go. And, you know, you bring in a 35-year-old and everyone thinks that, you know, why are you bringing in a 35-year-old? They're past it. Yeah. Uh, Alan McGregor, the Rangers goalkeeper, is like, well, I think he is older than me and he's still one of the best goalkeepers in Scotland um, for Rangers and he's won success and he's 41 or whatever. So, he, he, you know, I, I people think I have a problem with signing older players. I, I signed Mark Beavers when he was 30, three-year deal. Probably a big mistake letting him leave in the summer, you know what I mean, considering the aerial issues we have. Um, you know, I, I tried to sign who was the player? Was it Luke Murphy a few years ago from Bolton when they were in the champ and he wasn't playing? Again, he was 30. We, we tried to do a deal for David Stockdale, who's a pal of mine. We were looking at a spine of, of an older goalkeeper, Mark Beavers, and then Murphy. It was that that's your spine to get back up out of League One. That we were working on those kind of things at the time. We ended up getting Beavers, um, you know, and, and it. it I have no problem signing a 30, 31-year-old. I, I don't want five or six of them in my team. I'm okay with one, two, three of them. But I think, you know, for a club nowadays, financially and whatever else, you have to be careful because the other thing is you're not paying them uh, shit money. You have to pay them well. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So last question, and this is uh, from Sam Sherman, who asked uh, via Twitter, what are the differences generally in average revenue throughout the three EFL leagues? Not massive in TV money, 10, 15% difference, League Two to League One. Uh, championship's colossally different. Championship, the value is, is you're talking seven, eight, nine million pounds difference. But don't forget your course go up as well. Um, uh, you know, players' wages, League Two, League One, there is a difference, but it's not massive. It depends on the club as well, by the way. If a Bradford were 20,000 fans every week, I would expect to be paying top four wages in any league. Because if you have that kind of crowd income, and that kind of revenue, you should be one of the big... You're not wasting money, but you should be paying... Well, the Peterborough, with our crowd, should be always 11th, 10th, 9th, 8th in League 1. League 2, top 6 maybe in wages. Everything's relative, right? Um, but, you know, as a club the size of Bradford, you'd always say, oh, yeah, definitely top 4 in any league. And even if in the champ, Bradford and the champ would be top 12. Because you'd be thinking, again, commercially, you know, gate-wise, you're bringing in 20... You'd be bringing in 20 million a year with a TV money in championship. So, that you know, right now you're probably bringing in six, seven. You know, in the, in the champ, you'd be bringing in minimum 20. So, follow-up question then. How many clubs are self-funded versus owner-funded? You know, just a top-of-the-finger kind of estimate. I would say there's more now after COVID that are basically self-sufficient as they've had to be. So I would say it, it's changed. Before COVID, it was probably 90-10. 90% have rich owners or people putting money in, 10% were fan-owned or whatever. Since COVID, people have had to recognize and reorganize and go, hey, we can't put in anymore. COVID's killed our business. We have to be sustainable. We have to do whatever. And it's flipped the other way. I'd probably say it's more like 75-25. 75, 25. 75 
owners. 25% of either fan-owned or self-sufficient out there. I know us with the amount of debt we put together during COVID and after COVID, we have catch-up now to bring all that back in line. You know, so we have to be more self-sufficient, hence the investment in the academy. So, yeah, I, I, it's the only way football can go is I think we need salary caps. We need to be more self-sufficient, stop relying on rich owners. Yeah, because I know from our perspective, you know, we're self-sufficient and that's one of the things that drives, yes, we're still high payers, you know, contextually versus some of the clubs, but not necessarily what you would say is commensurate with getting 20,000 people at home in League Two. Yeah, uh, you, you could you, you could be self-sufficient easily with your crowd base, with your revenue, with your look, you need a better academy, obviously. You know, you need probably, I don't know, the training ground is you need to sort out your stadium. There are key fundamentals there, but with the crowd growth you have, the base, the the, the potential and whatever else, there is no reason an owner would need to put two, three million a year in. They might need to in year one, two, and three. There might need to be investment at the start. Once the infrastructure is in place with that kind of crowd and those gates and everything else, and again, I don't want to upset posh fans. I'm just, you're asking me a question, I'm answering the question. The reality is by year three as a new owner of Bradford, the club is self-sufficient. You know, and, and if you if you do it really right. And not only that, by the time you're in the champ and you're selling players for 20 million every year, then it's really self-sufficient. All right, well, let's call that quits for another week. So you and I are both traveling over the next two or three weeks. So we will uh, we'll definitely fit in the podcast where we can fit it in around um, a couple of weeks. Where time. We're be. Yeah, but, yeah, um, you know, do keep those questions coming in. Um, as you've seen with some of the ones we've asked today, we probably got some of those two, three weeks ago. We always keep a record of everything that you ask that we can pose them. So you can do it anyway, you know, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, just uh, DM us or um, straight to the website, which is uh, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. So until then, have some safe travels. Um, hopefully, um, you know, you have a quick turnaround from Saturday this week. That's what we need. So yeah, we need we need we need we need a, a run, another run, win three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's what needs to be. Same with you guys. So everyone out there, thanks for your support. All the best. Take care. Me and Phil will see you in a couple of weeks. All right, take care, everybody.